I sometimes feel that I'm impersonating the dark unconscious of the whole human race. I know this sounds sick, but I love it. Vincent Leonard Price Jr. was born in 1911 in St. Louis, Missouri, and would go on to become one of the most influential performers in film history, thanks to his immense contributions to the horror genre. Vincent Price had a mesmerizing stage presence that stood out even in the most awful of films, and he had the kind of voice that stuck in your head for days. As an actor, he has just over 200 credits to his name between 1938 and 1993, the year of his death. Horror fans around the world, and for many different generations, recognize Price as the face of horror for a solid 20 years. And on today's Weird Shit Wednesday, we'll discuss who Vincent Price was, and how he became known as the Master of Horror, using 12 of his most celebrated performances as jumping-off points. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And welcome to Filmgasm. Episode 35 is here, and that means it's our seventh Weird Shit Wednesday. Jeez! Where we take a deeper look at actors, directors, and non-horror franchises every fifth episode. Today's topic, Vincent Price, is the one we've chosen to close out our first October here at Filmgasm, and what a fantastic month it has been. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Before we get started, I want to thank contributors Caleb Leger and Josh Allred for their reviews and write-ups. I'd like to thank my cousin, Ryan Leone, for our badass intro song, Gets Better Every Time I Hear It. Hell yes. I'd like to thank Brianna Moore for improving our social media status. I'd like to thank my awesome co-host, Austin Johnson, for helping me steer this ship. And most of all, I'd like to thank you guys for listening every week and caring about this show as much as we do. Hell yeah. I think I think this month has shown, um, I, I want people to go check out the site as well. There's a lot of really good reviews. Yeah. Um, Josh and Caleb have just been churning them out. Um, Connor as well. Especially these Vincent Price movies, go read those. There's articles I've put up. It's it's we've got some good content up, and um, it's not going to stop. Oh no! And uh, we we think we take October very seriously. It's coming to a close. Yep. And we wanna we wanna keep it going. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have I think a special bonus of some sort. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for Halloween. Yeah, There'll be yeah. something little something special on for Halloween you. Day. Of course, you know <laughs> we had to give you something. So of course we're not, we're not gonna tell you what it is, but you'll see. <laughs> We got two more months to close out 2019, and we're just going to keep improving everything as best we can. Thank you all so much. Oh, yes. Keep listening, please. Stick with us. Before we get into Price, let's do the rewind, where we dig into past episodes and see if any updates shake loose. I've got a lot for you today. Updates on Joker, Misery, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hocus Pocus, and my own personal goofy theory on Halloween. Okay. So let's get into it. (laughs) First up, a neat Misery update, episode 19. Season 2 of Castle Rock has premiered on Hulu by launching the first three episodes all at once. Fucking awesome. This season stars Lizzie Kaplan as a young Annie Wilkes, fleeing from some unknown terror with her daughter Joy, played by Elsie Fisher. Oh, yes. What a a combo. (laughs) She, (laughs) She ends up in Jerusalem's Lot, in an apartment complex run by Ace Merrill, played by Paul Sparks. Jeez. Son of Pop Merrill. Played by Tim Robbins. Man. So far, this season has blown my fucking mind and been a vast improvement over the entertaining but confusing first season. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed the first season and I, I've told you I'm going to wait. I've waited till you know, October's kind of coming to a close because, mm-hmm. we you know, we've had a lot on our plate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> looking, I'm looking for a couple hours to get to myself and I'll, I'll tackle them. I, I cannot wait. <laughs> Super excited. Yeah. It's... So far, like, if I think I know where it's going, and what the fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. This is, 
for Stephen King fans, this season already is unbelievable. It's like a dream. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> to see Annie Wilkes has, in Salem's Lot. Has Caleb watched them all yet? I think so, yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, because he got back. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I had to curb him for the group text because he was getting a little oh, too... Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, because we hadn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because he was starting to say a little too yeah, much. And that's I don't want to ruin it for you guys. I put my phone down. Yeah. <laughs> Do not disturb, please. Next up, we got a Joker update. Oh, no. Bonus episode is eight. This, is this good or bad? This is good. Okay, cool. All right. Joker has officially surpassed Deadpool 2 to become oh, the yeah. highest grossing R-rated movie ever with a current box office gross of $849 million. Woo! Who'd have thought? <laughs> Fantastic. Crazy. Getting close to that billion more yeah. point. And it's definitely got Oscars in its future. Yes. This is going to be very interesting to see where this goes. Yeah, something that Deadpool didn't do. Nope. <laughs> Joker's going to make all the money and get some awards. <laughs> Fantastic. Next, an update on Hocus Pocus, bonus episode 9. There is apparently a sequel in the works for Disney+. Plus. It's an early development, and the plan is to reunite most of the original cast, but no info has been released officially. Here's hoping we at least get Bette Midler back. Surely Sarah Jessica Parker would be on board, too, oh, yeah. I think. You know? I think everyone would want to be a part of this. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I wonder what those two bullies are up to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Probably skulking around graveyards. Uh, <laughs> those guys up to. Waiting for random L.A. kids it's, to show up. Hollywood! <laughs> <laughs> What's he got shaved in the back of his head now? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. There's going to be a lot of Disney Plus stuff that... That'll come like that, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a heavy nostalgia. Nice surprises, yeah. yeah. Which which is why I'm a little hesitant on paying for it myself, uh, the nostalgia thing, because I I'm, I like to watch stuff I haven't seen yet or that I like want to you know challenge myself. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this is going to be more of like, let's watch Even Stevens. And I'm like, that's great. I love that show, but I don't know if I want to pay for that monthly. We'll see. True, but they have unveiled a shit ton of new stuff we are going to get. Yeah, like the Mandalorian and all the Disney, oh. the Marvel shows. Yeah, see, I'm not. I'm either you either to me, you're either in on those or you're out, and I'm I'm out. I'm very in. I know, I know, <laughs> I'm out. I, I can't. It's too much. Too much of my time. I, I there's too many other things I like to watch. Yeah, and, and you know, you know me. I'm not. I'm not a Star Wars fan. So I get it. The Mandalorian's not a big deal to me. The yeah. uh, the Marvel shows. I think I'm gonna. Miss, I think I'm gonna miss out on something special, but uh, that's that's okay because I you know I, I watch a lot of other stuff. You have to make choices. <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe one day I'll I'll watch him, you know. <laughs> well, I'm hoping Hocus Pocus two ends up happening, and it, it's yeah, good. That'd be great. Next, an update on our first bonus: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarantino has re-released the film in theaters with ten minutes of extra footage, including four new scenes. And this is fresh off the heels of the film being pulled from release in China for undisclosed reasons. But it's probably the scene that makes Bruce Lee look like a douchebag. <laughs> I that's that'd be my guess. Yeah. And Tarantino refused to compromise, so the film was not released in China. You either follow the Chinese doctrine, or they're going to cut you down. And Tarantino is not necessarily a uh, follower. Oh, no. (laughs) He's more of a uh, leader. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He leads, and then he tells you to get the fuck out of the way. That's how Tarantino rolls. Finally, my own personal theory on the Halloween franchise. And this is goofy, but I think it works. Alright, so this is my theory on explaining the Weird canon of Halloween, okay? The only films that are canon are 1978's Halloween and 2018's Halloween. Agreed. All the other films are movies that were made in the universe of the two real Halloween movies. In the new one, in the new Halloween, we meet two podcasters who are clearly enamored and excited to meet Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. This is a famous case that attracted a lot of attention outside of Haddonfield. Yes. So much attention that they might make a movie out of it, 
And that would be 1981's Halloween 2. And every film up to Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is another movie in that universe. Ah. This would provide an explanation for the weird timeline, and it would make the new film even better. Yeah, I, that's great. <laughs> Explains really like why that. the masks are always different, why Michael never dies. I think that covers most everything. <laughs> so, okay, so... Yeah. So these movies are made, they're like fiction based upon the 1978 Michael Myers. These are movies that Laurie Strode would go see. Yeah. She fucking wouldn't, but she... I see what you're saying, like the the kids would go see. Exactly. They're just horror movies that are coming out in between. Michael Myers became a famous figure in this world. From age 21 to age... to to 2018. Yeah. In between that time, because he's he's locked away. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I I disregard all the other ones. That makes yeah. all the other ones funnier now. Yeah, because they're supposed to be kind of goofy. And they're supposed to be like entertainment within... Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> this really happened in that universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And as far as qual- quality goes, those are definitely the only two in the canon. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Caleb and Josh, that. let me know what you think on that. That's fantastic. That's fun. <laughs> That's all for the rewind. So let's dig into the master of horror himself... Vincent Price. As I said, Price was born in St. Louis in 1911. He was married three times, first to Edith Barrett. They had one son, Vincent Barrett Price, before they divorced in 1948, and he's a poet now. He goes by V.B. Price. Then he married Mary Grant, and they had a daughter, Victoria Price, before they divorced in 1973, and Victoria Price is an activist. Finally, he married Coral Brown in 1974, and their marriage lasted until her death in 1991. Price was very outspoken against racial and religious prejudice, believing racism and religious persecution to be un-American. He supported his daughter when she came out as a lesbian, and he was one of the first celebrities to appear in a PSA discussing the AIDS virus. His daughter has said that she is, quote, as close to certain as I can be that my dad had physically intimate relationships with men. It was, an, it was a kind of open secret in Hollywood that Vincent Price was bisexual. Yeah. And he was very supportive of the gay community. And uh, he was, the fact that he came out um, against the AIDS virus publicly and acknowledged that it was a thing was huge in the 80s. Like, in the 70s and 80s, nobody talked about AIDS. No. And Vincent Price was a big name to be, you know, to support that community and... I'm, I did not expect to learn that about him. No, I, I'm learning this just now because I, I did not know that. Uh, I'm almost coming to tears just because you, you, you watch it, you watch him on the screen, and you're, you're already kind of um, struck by his, his stature. Yeah. And, and, and to me, if I wouldn't have read that, I would have, I would think that approaching him would be very hard to do. But it sounds like, in fact, that's completely wrong. And it sounds like he was a. He was like a stand-up guy. and uh, Very much a stand-up guy. That he's, makes me like him a lot more. He sounds and, very approachable. He's, from what I've read, he loved making movies. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, which is uh, what we love. He was so, very yeah. proud to have the career that he had, and he, I think he knew that he never would have had that without his fans. Yeah, I, I actually, um, you know, I got to live in St. Louis for a year. Um, I didn't. I lived there in 2016 and seven, part of 2017, so uh, I, I didn't quite know a lot about him you know this is you know i'd only seen the fly going into this this project as did i <laughs> um yes we had only been seen one <laughs> one movie by him and now now look at us <laughs> talking about him he, he you know this is a legend uh so yeah i lived in st louis i got to see on you know delmore the famous delmore loop you know this beautiful area in st louis 
Um, awesome city. Shout out to some great great people I met there. I uh, had a blast. But his star, you know, is, is on that street, Delmar. Yeah. And it's next to the Chuck Berry statue and, you know. The St. Louis Walk of Fame. Yeah, yeah. And there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, some music videos and stuff. I got to see some awesome, like, concerts there. Uh, the recently deceased Mac Miller I saw on that street. I saw the Black Angels on that street. I saw Tennis. I saw Portugal the Man. I saw the Black Angels on that street from Austin, Texas, you know. Um and it was like yards away from his star, you know? And uh, I didn't know a lot about him, but the people take pride in him. Like if there's an energy there because Vincent Price is from here, uh, he's one of those kind of special, special people, you know? And if he was from San Antonio, I would also take that sort of, that sort of pride in it. Uh, what, an, what an awesome guy. Uh, <laughs> I really, really wish, uh, really wish I could have, you know, been alive when he was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Ah, man, what a guy. He actually has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for film, one for television. Nice. Ah, that's unbelievable. <laughs> he began his career as a stage actor, and in 1938, at age 23, he was invited to join Orson Welles, Mar- Mer- uh, uh, Orson Welles Mercury Theater on a five-play contract, where he impressed critics with his Shakespearean characters and his serious performances, such as his performance as Oscar Wilde in a one-man show that he later took on tour in 1978. In 1952, he joined the national touring company of Don Juan in Hell, where he portrayed the devil under the direction of Charles Lawton. Price also performed regularly on radio shows, narrating a wide variety of subjects from history programs to cooking shows, and his favorite subjects were art history and cooking. He had a bachelor's in English from Yale and a degree in art history from London's Courtauld Institute. And he also famously wrote a cookbook that I believe Josh has a copy of. Nice! There you go. Pretty awesome. That's fantastic. He became notable for his readings of stories by Edgar Allan Poe, most notably his reading of The Raven, which is now one of the most famous versions of that poem ever recorded. With a great deal of experience under his belt, it was no surprise that he was also a highly sought-after film actor, appearing in his first movie in 1938, Service Deluxe. He became typecast as historical figures or playboys thanks to his inexplicable charm. His performance in 1944's Laura gave him a great boost in film, and I believe you saw Laura. Yeah, I did watch that one. Yeah, that's that's like the first one on his IMDb page. So I watched it just like, you know, it was on Prime. And you were like, oh, that's not on the uh, horror watch list. And I'm like, oh, shit. It's all good. It's a good movie. You know, yeah. Check it out if you can. <laughs> but his first foray into the horror genre was in 1940 with The Invisible Man Returns. And that is our first film of the hour. Here we go. The Invisible Man Returns was a sequel to the 1933 Universal Pictures hit The Invisible Man, starring Claude Rains. In the sequel, Price plays Jeffrey Radcliffe, a coal mine owner who is wrongly accused of murder, and with the help of his scientist friend Frank Griffin, brother of the Invisible Man from the first film, Jeffrey turns invisible to escape prison on the eve of his execution. But if he isn't cured fast, he'll go insane. Price's performance was mostly vocal, but it was very good, even if the film was a bit dull. It scored one Oscar nomination for visual effects, it has an IMDb score of 6.5, Rotten Tomato score of 82%, I give it a seven. Solid, yeah, it's six for me. Um, I, I, I don't have any qualms with you giving him a seven. I just, I, I think there wasn't quite enough there story-wise. But he, and this is, I'm going to say this probably for every movie. He never fucking takes anything away. No, he doesn't. Only adds to the screen. And yeah. if he wasn't in it, you know, I, there'd be times where I would get disinterested because yeah. he, he's fucking captivating as hell. And that pretty much goes for every single one of his films. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I might yeah. say that for every movie. He's the, <laughs> he's the reason we're there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He's the reason we stay. Yeah, yeah, even yeah. There, um, even Caleb said this when we were texting about him a couple weeks ago. Just, we were like, oh man, you know, 
Vincent Price, this legend, you know, he's, he's so captivating to watch. And Caleb said, yeah, even if the film isn't totally there, it's fine because you're watching an amazing performer. And I, I couldn't agree more. Very true. And The Invisible Man Returns, I thought, really suffered in the story department, but Price's vocal yeah. performance made up for it Agreed. for the most part. And I haven't seen the first Invisible Man. Neither have I. So <laughs> I can't compare. But from what I hear, that movie is unbelievable. And I'll get there someday. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think that will deserve a watch from us. Both of us. Fun fact. Vincent Price reprised his role in The Invisible Man for a cameo at the end of 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. <laughs> he does a quick vocal performance. That's great. Where he introduces himself and they freak out and jump out of the rowboat. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Price dabbled in various genres for most of his early career. And he finally found his calling, nay, his purpose... In 1953's House of Wax. Yes. The film that made him a household name when it came to scary movies. Price played the psychotic Professor Henry Jared, a brilliant wax sculptor who was disfigured in an arson fire set by his associate. Presumed dead, Jared returns with a new museum, but he is now killing people and covering their bodies in wax to make the sculptures. House of Wax trapped Price in a typecast he never escaped from, but the film was a box office success. Yes, oh yeah. It has an IMDb score of 7.1, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 95%, and I give it an 8. I really enjoyed this movie. I, it gets a 7 for me. There's, there's, You see why it's you know regarded as a classic. Uh, it's yeah. got some spooky, spooky stuff in it. I love how casually his associate just starts <laughs> yeah. burning the place yeah, down. Yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> normal ass, yeah. Set the trying, to make on a, fire. trying to make a deal, and the guy's like, hey, you know, what would you uh, say to an insurance fire? <laughs> And Vincent Price is like, absolutely not. You're not going to burn my stuff. And the other guy's like, watch me. And he starts lighting fires yeah, yeah. everywhere. <laughs> Hilarious. Nonchalant almost. Yeah, what the hell? And he thinks he killed his associate, like, out of nowhere. And then Vincent Price shows up later in a wheelchair. <laughs> He's, like, blatantly displaying dead bodies. And I love that everyone's like, wow, so lifelike. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. That's murder. <laughs> Hilarious. But Price, again... You know, steals the show. It's easy to see why he was comfortable in horror more than anything. Yeah. Because he's got this creepy charm about him. He's tall. Man, he's yeah. he's just big. You know, <laughs> he, he looks like he's 100 feet tall on the screen. It's amazing. <laughs> Wonderful. This movie is the one that ruined horror films for my grandmother. <laughs> she saw House of Wax when she was a kid. Oh, God. And the scene where Price's normal face breaks off to yeah. reveal the frightening, yeah, yeah. monstrous evil face pretty ridiculous it traumatized her for life and she hasn't watched a horror film since since the 50s we've tried many times she won't watch anything <laughs> nothing that gets remotely close to, the, to that Mm-mm, nope to that sensation wow <laughs> oh my god <laughs> house of wax was remade in 2005 with alicia cuthbert chad michael murray Jared Padalecki, and Paris Hilton. And big surprise, it was a huge bomb. With that cast, who'd be surprised? (laughs) I saw this one first, regrettably. And what a piece of shit. Why'd you watch that? I don't remember. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember. Well, it's 2005, you were 10. I didn't watch it then, but I I watched it uh, around 2010, 2011. Okay. Because I had just gotten into Supernatural. So I was trying to find everything I could with Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles. Uh, and they hadn't okay. done much beyond Supernatural, so this is what I grabbed. I think I stopped my uh, search after I watched this. You're like, yeah, I think I'll stick it. to the show. Yeah. <laughs> they, definitely found, they definitely found their niche in the show, yeah. Oh my god. Oh boy. Yeah. So, House of Wax. Probably the most important film 
of Vincent Price's career because it began his. Yeah, it made made tremendous yeah. amount of money. Yeah, it was supposed to be three D, and it's so <laughs> you can tell. blatantly you can, obvious. In the you movie. can tell the other stuff trying to like kind of grab at you or like something. the one guy yeah. with like the yo yo, who's like just spin it around, spin it around there, like just in your face <laughs> for like an entire scene. <laughs> so ridiculous <laughs> amazing <laughs> come on come on oh my god the next film on our watch list is 1958's The Fly Ta-ta. yes where Price plays Francois Delambre brother to genius scientist Andre Delambre the most American sounding French people ever <laughs> who has accidentally spliced his DNA with a common house fly after building a teleportation device it's based on a short story by George Lang- Langelan I don't know not sure. The film co-stars David Hedison, Patricia Owens, Herbert Marshall, and Kathleen Freeman, and it's so re- outrageously ridiculous that it simply doesn't work for me. <laughs> not like the, uh, not like, um, what year is the other one? Uh, 86. 86, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum. And we're going to get there, yeah, for sure. Someday, someday we're going to do a standalone on 86 The Fly, because yeah. we both really enjoy it. Um, yeah, I saw this one before... Oh, me too. Before Years Jeff Goldblum. Before. Well, because y- you told me you have to see The Fly, because I hadn't seen it, like, this is when we first started working together at Draft House. So I watched it, like, two years ago. You know what I mean? But I saw this, and yeah, I just, like, disregarded it, because I was like, no, oh, that wasn't very good. You know, I didn't really like it. The, <laughs> ni- the 1958 one's just not very strong. I, t- I told you to watch the 58 The Fly? No. no. Oh, you the, told me to watch the, the, the 80s. 80- yes. yes. Oh, good, okay. You told me to watch the 86 right, one. Good, while we I wouldn't were- recommend this. <laughs> Yes, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that probably doesn't make sense. So I saw the 50, I saw the 58 one when I was younger. Okay. And then when I started working at Draft House, I had put the 86 one out of my head because this one wasn't very good. Ah. And then you were like, no, dude. The 86 <laughs> one is like 10 times better. Please watch it. Jeff Goldblum's the man. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. And that night I was like, yeah, dude. I texted him like, that was great. So it's really hard when there's a remake that you're close to. Yeah. That's like, ah, fuck, it's superior, you know? This is one of the rare instances where I think yeah, the remake vastly outshines And it, it. makes it so hard to talk about, because you're like, eh, yeah. everything's done better in the other one. And Price's know? character is so oddly self-serving. He's just kind of hanging around, yeah. and then he steals his brother's woman. Like, what? <laughs> Why it, is he here? And it, it, it just looks <laughs> so ridiculous. Help me! Help me! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, this one gets a, a, a whopping six for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, IMDb seven point one, Rotten Tomatoes ninety five percent, six from ninety five percent. I don't. Believe that, that. That's that's one of those like this is classic. And you're like, why? 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 Is it, yeah, big time. Why is it maybe in, maybe in the fifties? But things do have to age well for it to be. You know when when you know? in eighty six when they remade it, Mel Brooks was one of the producers, mm-hmm. and so people. You know, inevitably thought, oh, it's the guy who made Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. This is probably going to be hilarious. Yeah. So the producers were hanging out, like, weird, like, you know, hat, hat, fly hats. Like, oh, it's going to be this goofy thing. And they showed the movie, and nobody was laughing. <laughs> For very obvious reason. That is a grisly movie. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I can see how they would make that mistake. There were two sequels. 1959's Return of the Fly, where Price returned as Francois Delombe. And 1965's Curse of the Fly, where he did not. And the remake, 1986's The Fly, is one of the greatest horror films of the 80s. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. It was directed by David Cronenberg, and he stars Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and John Getz. It's so freaky and unsettling, but the price one is our talking point today, but we will do The Fly in the future. What do you think about, when I read the sentence, 1986's The Fly is one of the greatest horror films of the 80s? Yeah. What do you think about giving the people an 80s 
horror podcasts, like our favorite movies, maybe a top five or something. I could do that. I think people would enjoy that, right? Yeah. I'd enjoy it. <laughs> I think anyone would like making a list of the 80s horror movies because it's so fucking stacked. Yeah. That was the beginning of the slasher genre. Like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, Halloween comes out in 78 and then... It's the fuck, boom. Yeah, it's mayhem. And, you know, Shining in 80 and... <laughs> from from there on, you know, enough said. <laughs> a lot of the biggest horror staples started. In the yeah, 80s. I just read that and I was like, oh man, I bet if we actually constructed a list of like ten movies from the eighties, it would be like, whoa, it'd be pretty, <laughs> it'd be pretty daunting because they're all going to be amazing. So, oh hell yeah, that'd be fun. We will table that. Absolutely. Poltergeist, Poltergeist, Yee! The Shining, Yee! maybe Elm Street, maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I would say no on Friday the Thirteenth. I would have to look at it. Yeah, it would definitely be in the back. It's not a good the- movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that, so yeah, it most would, of them are. <laughs> most of them are not. Is, Here we go again. That is correct. Uh, what's the next film? Yeah, I like the next. I like the next one a lot. The next film on our list is 1959's House on Haunted Hill. Great, brilliant idea. Ah, uh, so cool. Price plays Frederick Lauren, a millionaire who invites five strangers to a haunted mansion for a night and agrees to give them each ten thousand dollars if they survive. It co-stars Carol Omart, Richard Long, Alan Marshall, Carolyn Craig, Elisha Cook Jr., and Julie Mitchum. House on Haunted Hill was a low-budget success that would inspire Alfred Hitchcock to try to make his own low-budget horror flick, which became Psycho. Mm. Director William Castle used various gimmicks to make his films an experience in the theater. He called one of these gimmicks Emergo, where he would rig a plastic skeleton on a pulley and release it over the heads of moviegoers at a certain point in the film. This made House in Haunted Hill the talk of the town and led to its success. Oh, yeah. IMDb score of 6.9. Rotten Tomatoes score 92%. I give it a 7. I liked it. I liked Vincent Price in it. I thought it could have gone way further than it did. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think, yeah, I give it a 7 as well. I think on paper and I think, like, the idea is, is there. He's there. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, I like I like when stuff, yeah, goes for it or it takes a risk. And I, I think it didn't quite go there. But there's a scene in this movie that scared the living shit out of me. Yeah, I think I know. Yeah, go it's ahead. the scene where one of the women is like, lock, she's looking on the on the wall for a knock. The camera pans up, and there's a fucking old lady yes, like, standing there like a witch, and she just rolls I was, across. I was not ready for that because <laughs> there's not a lot of that in these '50s movies. And you're like, oh shit. <laughs> Tom Savini said that's the scariest movie scene he's ever watched. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit, man. It was crazy. And I think another reason I had issues with this is this was another case where I saw the remake first, 1999's House on Haunted Hill with Jeffrey Rush, Famke Jansen, Chris Kattan, and I like that movie a lot. It's so bad, but it's so fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And there are, like, real ghosts in the movie, and I thought this movie was going to have real ghosts and be, like, a demonic thing, but it's really just Vincent Price fucking over his wife. That's the whole movie. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's that can be entertaining, but it's not what I expected. Not, I, I'm glad this movie's short. Yes, <laughs> let's say that if it was like two hours, yeah, you'd be like, "There's just yeah. not enough there." Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I think they could have taken a couple more swings at it and uh, made it made it a little more a little more gutsy. But in the remake, Jeffrey Rush plays a rich tycoon named Stephen Price with a thin <laughs> mustache, and he's, he looks exactly like Vincent Price. And yes. what he loves to do is scare people. So. I, I like that homage. That was nice. And, and Jeffrey Rush is a guy who, who can do it. Right? If anybody could play Vincent Price in a movie, it would be Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> Hold on. I think Gary Oldman could do it. Yes. All right. I give it that. Yeah, I can see that. That's about it. <laughs> Why they haven't made a movie about Vincent Price? I don't know. I really don't know how... <laughs> is he too niche? Like, I don't think so. Uh, no. No. And... 
And I think, you know, like, our generation clearly doesn't have enough knowledge about this guy. No. Clearly. Let's make a movie about it. Maybe not about, like, stuff. Maybe about his personal life. Yeah. If someone has, you know, some... Maybe, like, towards the end of his life where he was, yeah. like, really suffering yeah. from various diseases. Yes, and... and Remained active in the horror community. And remained active in, like, the AIDS community. Yeah. And, the, and yeah, that... Wow. That'd be Maybe really his, cool. like, you know, secret love life. Something like... That's there's so many thinking. options there's, here. That's what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. You could go, like, off... Off screen, Vincent Price, like who? Who was the man? <laughs> ah, Gary Oldman. He would, get, he would get an Oscar like that <laughs> if he played Vincent yeah. Price. A- anyone would. <laughs> Robert Pattinson. He just in the lighthouse. I, when I was watching with the mustache, I was like, hey, he kind of looks like a young Vincent Price right here. Kind of crazy. I, maybe you kind of saw that or no? Kind of has the hair, the slick back. Like he could do it. You know, he, he could if, do it if he had the right costume. He could pull a young Vincent Price off. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Maybe Bill Hader. <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah, that's the best because you have the SNL. That video. And if he, yeah, if he can the stash, because he can actually do the accent. He can, like, actually do it. It's, like, funny, but he can actually do it. And I think Bill Hader has proven to be a legit actor uh, in Barry and then in It Chapter 2. So <laughs> that's, our, that's our vote. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Hader. Price would collaborate with William Castle again in 1959's The Tingler, an admittedly ridiculous film about a creature that lives inside the human body. And becomes alive when the host is terrified. And that creature is the Tingler. Price plays Dr. Warren Chapin, a scientist obsessed with capturing the Tingler. IMDb score of 6.7. Rotten Tomatoes score of 76%. I give it a 6. Agreed. It's enjoyable, but only because it's so laughable. Yeah, you're watching this like centipede, you know, yeah. crawl. This yeah, giant and, like, yeah. crawfish looking thing. I don't know if you ever caught. There's times where you can see like things that are moving it, you know? <laughs> Like whatever their string and whatever they're using, you can see there's something like long and saw and like that's sturdy <laughs> and is not like moving like the yeah it's like oh boy, <laughs> what is that? I saw this during a live mystery science theater showing. Fuck yeah! Where two of the guys from the show were live in person heckling the movie, and it was really fun. And I did technically see the movie too, so as far as I'm concerned, that counts. Oh, I agree. Yeah, because I wouldn't really want to watch this without that because it's really bad. I, I did watch it without that, and it is, it's bad. It's bad. It's openly, I'm The I'm Tingler. We have an autographed poster from the two guys. It was a TV's Frank and Quint T. Robot. Wow, I thought you were going to say you had, you had a Vincent Price oh, no. autographed Tingler. No, no, no. Like, no. That would be fuck? amazing, but no, we do not. <laughs> Why is that not right here, giving us the energy, giving us the energy we need? Around this time, Price began a lucrative and plentiful partnership with legendary B-movie producer Roger Corman or leave a filmgasm all his own. And together, yeah. the two produced six films based on the work of horror author Edgar Allan Poe. The first of these was 1960's House of Usher, which regrettably we were not able to get hold of for this podcast. I, I looked up just like some YouTube clips and whatnot. Yeah. I don't know if you did. A little bit. It, it's, it seemed like along the lines of what... Yeah. Th- those that are stuff with Corman, because we watched, you know, we'll get to them, but yeah. We couldn't get House of Usher, and the same goes for 1961's The Pit and the Pendulum, and 1963's The Comedy of Terrors. So we won't be discussing those films today, but maybe in the future if we can get hold of them someday. For sure. And Price saw this as his chance to perform Poe in his own way. He wanted to, quote, express the psychology of Poe's characters and imbue the movie versions with the spirit of Poe. One of these films was 1963's The Raven, starring Price as Dr. Erasmus Craven, a retired sorcerer who is approached by a man who has been turned into a raven by an evil sorcerer named Dr. Scarabus. Everybody in this film is a doctor. 
The film co-stars horror icons Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre, as well as a young Jack Nicholson in one of his earliest film roles. The film is inspired by Poe's The Raven, but it is an original, bizarre, ridiculous story. IMDb 6.7, Rotten Tomatoes 92%, and I give it a 7. It's entertaining for all the wrong reasons, but it's amazing to see Price, Karloff, and Laurie together on screen. Yeah, yeah. I, I give it a 6, but I, yeah, I see what you're saying. It is it is pretty mesmerizing. Yeah, it's entertaining, but it's fucking stupid. <laughs> yes, and, and, and the scenes that are like supposed to be big are like, uh... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh yeah! This, you're staring at each other for like 20 minutes. Yeah, or just like magic man. fights. Like I, yeah, I feel like I went to the kitchen, came back, you know, like it still was going on. Was, oh Jesus! Why is everybody a doctor? I don't know. And a sorcerer. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Why do? You, why do you need both? It's ridiculous. It's overkill. <clears throat> like the rest of the Poe movies are relatively serious, but this one was a fucking joke. Yeah, and I don't really understand why. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think this was like the last thing Karloff did. Or Peter Lorre, one of them died soon after this. They both look really bad. Yeah, I'd say so. Oh my god. In the midst of his Corman Poe films, Price did a movie that many consider to be his undisputed masterpiece. 1964's The Last Man on Earth, an adaptation of the novel I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, who wrote the screenplay for this film personally. Price plays Dr. Robert Morgan, a scientist who is the sole survivor of a modern plague that turned all of humanity into vampires. Price gives a believable performance of a man suffering from severe isolation, and the film is engaging and frightening at times. IMDb 6.9, Rotten Tomatoes 72%. I give it an 8. This was yeah. something special. I did not expect to enjoy this as much as I did. Yeah, man. I yeah, I, We had texted a lot about this one, just like, the last man's kind of stuck with me. So mm-hmm. I give it an 8 as well. Yeah. I think this is the best performance of his career. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. I, I think he is on a different level, uh, acting-wise. I think it's not just like, oh, look at me, I'm Vincent Price. It's like, no, check out my check out my scene-to-scene yeah. chops. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's fantastic in this one. This is one that I will rewatch. Yes. I will watch in the future. I bought this one. Like, I, I nice. wanted this. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah I, I probably will too. It'll become a part of my rotation next mm-hmm. October and, and the next October and the next and the next. One scene in particular that stands out, and it's when uh, Dr. Morgan is watching home movies of his wife and daughter. Yeah. And he starts laughing just psychotically to himself, and it just quickly turns into sobbing. It's a man who's lost literally everything there is to lose. There's nothing left for him on this planet. And you believe it. Yeah. it's a, It does a great job of showing just how alone he is. The, the cityscapes it reminded me of 28 Days Later. Yes. In the way they filmed it. It was very smart. Mm-hmm. Much smarter than um, the stuff that was to follow. <laughs> the novel uh, I Am Legend was later adapted famously as 1971's The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, and 2007's I Am Legend, starring Will Smith. Yikes. Both Yikes. of which were nowhere near as good as The Last Man on Earth. I would say both of those are, like, bad. Yeah. <laughs> bad movies, especially compared to The Last Man on Earth. <laughs> well, another of his Poe films was 1964's The Mask of the Red Death, where Price plays the sadistic Prince Prospero, who enjoys torturing the villagers beneath his station and is deathly afraid of a plague known as the Red Death. I couldn't stand this film. It's so dull and impossible to get invested in. Can I be honest? Yeah. Didn't get through it. It took me a long time. Didn't get through it. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Maybe halfway. It's only an hour and a half. It took me like the entire day to get through this. Yeah, I really, I usually don't give up on movies, especially if they're an hour and a half. But yeah. I, I, get, I, I gave up. 
I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know. I kind of feel bad saying. <laughs> saying don't worry. You, it didn't go anywhere. Saying that out loud, but you gave it a five. Yeah, I guess I was kind of right. I don't know. It has an IMDb score of 7.0, and it does not have a Rotten Tomatoes critic score, but it has an audience score of 66%. Yeah, I give it a five. Oh, typo. <laughs> this might be Price's worst movie, to, to me, at least. <laughs> at least, yeah. It just, that's just us. Yeah, I, it, it's, my, it's my least favorite as well, because I didn't even fucking get through it. So. Yeah. So, I think those are the only Poe ones we got through. Um, I would have grabbed some other ones, but again, this this stuff's kind of hard to find. And, and what we did see was, uh, you know, the Raven and that were pretty, like, tough to, like, like yeah. uh, all right, come on. I heard great things about House of Usher, and I really wanted to watch that one. Comedy of Terrors, I want to see really bad, yeah. too. I didn't get to check Peter out. Cushing's in that one, too. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's one I know that Josh Josh said he liked, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, we're, we're going to do a rewind for that. For sure. Down the road. For sure. Or, or yeah. we could give it its own. We could do its own. Just out of respect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The amount of icons that are in that, mm-hmm. probably worth it. Around this time, Price took on the role of the weird villain Egghead on Batman, playing the character in seven episodes between 1966 and 1967. Just thought it worth mentioning. Hell yeah. I mean, we clearly <laughs> clearly like uh, Batman, so... Uh, oh, yeah. Like uh, Gotham a little bit, so, yeah. Maybe not that Batman, but... Just <laughs> yeah, Batman. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pudgy Adam West running through Gotham City in broad daylight. <laughs> But, you know, just the fact that Vincent Price was on that show. It's kind of cool. Yeah. He played Egghead. Some weird... I looked up some pictures. It's exactly as weird as it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Only Vincent. Price would later do a film that disturbed me way more than I thought it would. 1968's Witchfinder General. Hell yeah. Also called the Conqueror Worm in some territories. Which one do you like better? Title-wise? Yeah. Witchfinder General. Yeah, Conqueror Worm? What does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. I thought maybe you'd give me some insight. I, I don't know either. <laughs> I, find any, I don't know what the fuck that means. The Conqueror Worm. What's wrong with Witchfinder General? I don't know. It makes perfect sense. I don't know. Right, yeah. Price plays the real-life witch killer Matthew Hopkins, who is responsible for the executions of over 300 accused witches in 17th century England. This film did an amazing job of capturing the immense feeling of dread and isolation that was put upon you once someone accused you of witchcraft. It didn't even have to be founded. Regardless of who accused you or how little evidence they had, there was a good to fair chance you were going to die because of it. Regardless of what you said. You could say no, they'd you know, try to they'd torture you until you confessed under duress. If you said yes, they tortured you anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Hopkins... Uh, Matthew Hopkins made himself rich, profiting off the suffering of innocent people, and Price delivers one of his finest performances as this insanely evil man. Uh, yeah. Matthew Hopkins, like, to get real for a second, was not appointed by anybody. Like, Parliament told him to go hunt, but he's the guy who made himself the Witchfinder General. He declared himself the head of, of basically England's own Inquisition. Yeah. And he was responsible for 300 deaths. He would be paid by the local magistrate to execute undesirables in the name of witchcraft. That is fucked up. So insane. <laughs> and nobody did anything about this. The guy retired and died peacefully. Like, what the fuck? I wish it had ended like it did in the movie. Yes, I was just, that was just about to say that. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think this is some of the most impressive stuff from Price because, you know, he's doing, like you said, it's insanely evil. The scene when they're, they're, they're hanging those people off the bridge, the witches off the bridge, and oh my god. 
That was horrific. And his face is just no fucking remorse. And you're like, man, the opening is that fucked is me that up. fucking Calvin Candy or like, yeah. who am I? The open when they're like they're dragging the screaming woman to the tree. Yeah, what the like, hell? That fucked me up. I was yeah, like, like, it, what this, am I about to watch? This is the most unsettling of the movies I watched. Yeah. It's too real. And I I give it an eight. Yeah, definitely. I'd say this and Last Man are my two favorites. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Brutal. Brutal at times. Jesus. IMDb score 6.8. Rotten Tomatoes score 88%. And yeah, an eight for me. Great film. Needs to be seen by more people. I had never heard of this before. Same, same. Yeah, same. That's... That's, that's partly why we do it, but you know, I am. Um, it's a shame there's no, there's really no Oscar nominations for any of his films. No. And there should be. He should have gotten nominated for Witchfinder General and West, Last Man, I think. I agree. I agree. Amazing. He never got anything. It's it's hard, because yeah, I, I would like look back at who else was nominated, and you're like, ah, well, some of the names you like, or like the movies you don't quite know. It's like, well, because a lot of stuff gets nominated. Yeah. Uh, but you're just like, yeah, how did he not find a spot ever? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I, horror, I, man. People have always looked down on it. Yep, I, but I but I also think I don't know. Like, what what year was um Witchfinder? Uh, Sixty eight. Rosemary's Baby got some love the year after. You know, I don't know. That's I it's think tough. that year actually. Yeah, sixty eight. It's it, tough. Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby is six. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's tough. It's mm. just hard. I don't know. Yeah, you never know what's going to resonate with critics. Yeah, yeah. What they're going to like. What what's going to be their favorite and what isn't. You know. Yeah. What's acceptable and what isn't. Yeah. It's annoying sometimes. I think we're gonna see some changes this year. I think so. I, I you know, um, the 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 voting and the you know the president is a lot different this year. And yeah, maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe here's to hoping. I definitely want to do more research on Matthew Hopkins. Learn about this fucking monster. Me too. I, I yeah, maybe that maybe Witchfinder General could get its own pod one day too. Yeah, just as a look into that whole project. Jesus, <laughs> fucking. Disturbed. Like you said, not enough people have heard about it. So if we could really dive into it, yeah, yeah. Like maybe we could. Totally. Price's next film of note was 1971's The Abominable Dr. Fives, where Price plays the psychotic and vengeful Dr. Anton Fives, who's killing the nine doctors he believes failed to save his wife, and he's killing them in accordance with the Egyptian plagues of the Old Testament. Great concept and not so great execution, in my opinion. Price is great in the role, but everyone else is really phoning it in, and it hurts what I'm sure could have been a great movie. Yeah, yeah. I think it had a high ceiling. Yeah. Didn't quite get there. Plus, the film has no identity. Is it horror? Is it comedy? What What the hell am I supposed to think about this? Well, yeah, was this really supposed to be on our watch list? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, before the... I don't know. All of this, the lists I read said this needed to be there. The Abominable Dr. Fives, but I don't see it. Yeah. IMDb 7.1, Rotten Tomatoes 86%. I give it a 6. I did enjoy it. 6 for me as well. Watch, I watched it on YouTube. Yeah. The full thing's on there. <laughs> and there was one sequel, 1972's Dr. Fives Rises Again, but I doubt I'll be watching I don't, that. Yeah, I don't see myself visiting that yeah. anytime soon. It was really weird. I don't know. I, I, I did think one scene really fucked me up, and it was the death by locusts. That was disturbing as hell. When... Fives poured that like sugary stuff on the sleeping woman and then just let loose a bunch of locusts Ugh. and they just find her skeleton picked clean. God. Jesus Christ. That's horrifying. Disgusting. Oh my God. Yeah, that, that kept me up at night. <sighs> so for that, I guess props. Yeah, that that, yeah. that gives it from a five to a six. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. <laughs> that was uncomfortable. <laughs> the the death scenes in the movie are pretty inventive. I'm gonna give them that. That's like, a surprise for you, though. Like, like using said, rats to cause a plane crash. That was interesting. That's pretty clever. 
In the uh, 70s and 80s, Price stuck mostly to TV guest appearances and voiceover work, most notably appearing as the ghostly narrator at the end of Michael Jackson's Thriller in 1983. I'd play it for you, but I don't want Michael Jackson's estate coming after me. Hell no. So look up Thriller, and you'll recognize Vincent Price as the creepy voice. It's awesome. I guess, you know, in a way, this was my intro to his work. For sure. I had no idea. And I grew up knowing the guy who did that voice in Thriller was an iconic actor, but it took me years to watch any of his films. Yeah, see, I didn't know that until a few years ago, maybe. I didn't grow up knowing that he was this legend. I thought it was just some guy. I was never... (laughs) I was never huge into that that video to begin with, the Thriller video. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's like this massive, massive thing. Mm -hmm. I, like, much prefer, like, Smooth Criminal. Uh, (laughs) There's other, I think Michael Jackson's obviously a like musical fucking genius, mm-hmm. but it's also hard to watch his stuff now because of recent yeah, documentaries. True. Yeah, so. Very true. Ah, it's tough. It's tough. And, and like, it's really weird that like someone like Vincent Price is attached to something like that. Yeah, but such an of course you know. Yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, he worked on thousands of things, so yeah, you can't attest to all of them. Yeah, it's just it's just funny. Like Vincent Price, <laughs> that's the guy that. <laughs> Did the voice on the Thriller video? That's my favorite part of Amazing. the song, too. Amazing. Oh, well, yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. I, yeah, that that too. I don't think it's like one of Michael Jackson's best, like, ten songs. <laughs> you know? That's that's one of my things, too, with that video. It's like, <laughs> he's got way better music. <laughs> yeah, man. That's crazy. So, his final note, uh, his final role of note was was the inventor in 1990's Edward Scissorhands. Oh, Tim Burton. Price was suffering from emphysema and Parkinson's disease. So his role was substantially decreased. It was written for him, and to me, it felt like Price was passing the torch of weirdness to Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Someone had to be the creepy, macabre outsider, and I think that the two of them kept it going for a while. Price is the one who creates Edward, but dies before he can give him hands to replace his giant, freaky scissors. You'd think that would not be a very smart placeholder. Maybe just nothing would be better than razor-sharp, like, giant-ass blades... But then you don't have a movie. <laughs> True. The film stars Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Diane Weist, Alan Arkin, Anthony Michael Hall, and Kathy Baker. It was nominated for one Oscar for Best Makeup, IMDb score of 7.9, Rotten Tomatoes score of 90%, and an 8 from me. This was my first time watching this. Nice. It's a great film, very poignant, especially knowing that this was the last time we would get to see Vincent Price on the big screen. For sure. For sure. And he looks really unhealthy. Extremely. You can yeah. tell he's just doing it because he wanted to work. Yeah. Because he wanted to be in this movie. He wanted to say goodbye. Yeah. It's very much a... I, for me, it does feel like Vincent Price is saying, like, I'm going away. You're the weird guy now. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, Johnny Depp was never near the same level. No, and he took he he, he took a, took some turns, you know, like in the early 2000s to yeah. parts of the Caribbean. And, you know, he's this kind of became this big giant star and then has took some weird roles and then he's in this weird band yeah no he's just not in the 90s i, I think there's an argument where you know he, i think he was on his way true you know, with I, films like crybaby yeah edward scissorhands sleepy hollow ed wood exactly it, it was there yeah it was there but there was nobody else like vincent price no, no. he held on to the horror genre Almost like it was it was his genre for a very long time. There, there's really the only guy like right now who's like modern is even remotely close. Not even close, but would be like Patrick Wilson, because Patrick Wilson acts in a lot of horror movies. He's like a good actor who acts in a lot of horror movies because that's just not common. It's not common for a, an actor to consistently do horror. They might 
you know, like Tony Collette will dive into it over here real quick, but then mm-hmm. she's going to go do other stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's just, that's usually how it goes. The, Vincent Price is the only guy who dedicated his filmography to the genre. Yeah. And that's really cool. You know, after Karloff and Lugosi and Chaney, all those guys, after they started to peter off, somebody had to pick up that mantle. Yes. And I think fans everywhere chose Vincent Price with yeah, like House voted, of Wax. They, like, voted him in. Yeah. 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 It was... It was amazing. It's really incredible. Yeah. <laughs> really glad we got to do all this research. <laughs> Phenomenal. Uh, Vincent Price died in 1993 of lung cancer and emphysema at the age of 82. English critic Gilbert Adair eulogized him by saying, Every man has his price, and mine is Vincent. That is our retelling of the life and career of Vincent Price, the highlights, anyway. There's a ton of films we didn't cover. And you can be sure we'll have updates in the future on future watches. So what are your final thoughts on Vincent Price? Who he was, what he did? Well, I learned, well, just here, you know, like 30, 40 minutes ago, you told me, (laughs) you told me about his personal connection to people, to the people of our country, you know, the people in the AIDS community and people in the gay community and uh, communities, like you said, that were not, uh, didn't get the light of day. Uh, when he was around, you know, um, and now, uh, you know, it's people like him who I think now, now we seek this out. Now we research these things. Now we support these people. Um, you know, he, you got to give it up to people like him, people who are celebrities and have money and can fund things and be a voice for stuff. If they actually do it, you got to respect it and be, be proud of them because not everyone does it. Uh, and Vincent Price, you know, stand up guy. That's really fucking cool, but it's also cool that he's this awesome, awesome talent on the screen. And that's why we do the podcast, is because of stuff on the screen. And his work on the screen is is timeless. And it's going to live forever. Uh, you know, you and I now are fans. Yeah. We are now fans of Vincent Price, and that's really cool. We're in that club now. Um, <laughs> uh, really, really amazing stuff. You know, I, I, I'm going to be more curious now when I talk to people who are a little bit older than me. Now I'm going to bring up Vincent Price. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to become a talking point where people are like, oh, okay, cool, Like, let's talk about him. And maybe I can hear an opinion of someone who was alive when he was actually doing his thing. You know, um, That's really cool. That's what it's all about. It's creating a conversation, talking about it, and uh, you know, growing together, learning together. So that's it. And he's, he's, that's, that's Vincent Price. That's the kind of guy he was. Absolutely. Very cool. <laughs> I was very uh, surprised, I think, of anything to learn about how much he condemned uh, racism. Yeah. On, uh, in the yeah. 60s. Yes. In the 70s. Yeah. Here's a tall white guy. Yeah. Who's doesn't have to do this. A tall white guy from St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. He does not have to do this. You know? Like, he's yeah. not. I think, like, being outspoken against that could have killed his career. Fuck yeah. Of course Everything he supported could have annihilated his career. But I think that him being popular in the horror genre, which is already... A genre of outsiders, yes, helped him yeah. stay relevant. Mm-hmm. That's that's phenomenal. It it really is. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad we got to do this. Oh, me too. It, we knew it was coming at some point, and you know, I, I remember when you selected it a few months back. You're like, hey, we're we're gonna go ahead and do VP uh, for October. I'm like, VP. all right, let's do it, man. <laughs> let's let's do it. I've only seen one movie, so here we go. <laughs> Amazing, wonderful, yeah. And and now I'm gonna seek out more if I can, you know. Yeah. Like we said, you know, Comedy of Terrors. That's like on my list on my phone. I have like important movies that I want to watch like soon, and that's that's on there now. Uh, that wouldn't be there without this 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 podcast and without the, this experience. So true, really cool, absolutely. So now that we've covered 
Vincent Price talked about him a bit. Let's talk. Let's take a look at what happened this week in film. Hell yeah. Peter Coyote has been cast as Robert uh, Mueller in the upcoming CBS miniseries Higher Loyalty, joining Brendan Gleeson as Donald Trump and Jeff Daniels as James Comey. So Peter Coyote, we've talked about him a couple times because he's got a fucking great name. And Robert Mueller, interesting. This CBS miniseries is turning into something I'm very much going to want to watch. If only to see Brendan Gleeson play Donald Trump. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh my God. Jesus, man. <laughs> Next up, early critic reviews of Dr. Sleep are raving. They're calling it the best Stephen King movie since The Shawshank Redemption. We'll wow. See. We'll see about that. And I love that Mike Flanagan also did Gerald's Game, and they're calling it the best since Shawshank. Like, fuck Gerald's Game. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I don't, you know, there's no comparison there. So I'm, yeah, this is coming out next week, I think. Holy shit. Yeah, November 8th. Yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. Wait, yeah. And uh, it's week two, and a half, yeah. two and a half hours long, and we, it's, it's going to be amazing. We are absolutely planning a bonus so feel yeah, get ready for that. Fuck, we have um, we're going to see the Burbs on that Sunday too. It's gonna be a good weekend. Jesus! All right, we'll find a way to go see Doctor Sleep. Yeah, <laughs> find some time. Next up, Martin Scorsese has been hounded by Marvel fans after he said that comic book movies are not cinema. You see, Francis Ford Coppola said something too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want these eight-year-old guys <laughs> to do? They don't know. They don't care about Marvel. I, we shouldn't care what they say. <laughs> <laughs> But now Scorsese's backtracking a tad, calling them a new art form akin to theme park rides. <laughs> but what pissed me off was when he said, quote, it isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. And to that I say, fuck, no, it's not. It is... <laughs> Marvel, like comic book movies are very important to my generation because a lot of us grew up with these on, you know, comic books and cartoons. But a film like Avengers Endgame represents the culmination of 20 films of build over up. 10 years yeah, yeah. Over 10 years of build up of character arcs that we've seen begin and resolve yeah and from age fracture from age 14 to 24 yeah and you it, sir born scorsese were age 67 to 77 like stop <laughs> your opinion on marvel doesn't matter like it really doesn't you know it does yeah make your they movies the irishman's gonna do great it's gonna do great things leave that dude like I don't you, understand you just what he's up controversy. Like, he yeah, doesn't need to say that, and that's just a dick move because because you, you get people like him, and then you have these fans, like younger fans, who are like, yeah, like see, we were allowed to be superior and be like hipsters about no, like <laughs> these movies are are for younger people. Like, let's be honest, like they're Marvel movies. Like you said, we've grown up with them. Yeah, they know what they're doing. You know, fucking John Forever knew what he was doing, and Robert Downey Jr. know what they're doing with Iron Man One. They're like, we're gonna suck these kids in while they're in middle school. And when they're in their 20s, they're not going to have anywhere else to go because we're going to give them great stories. How can you argue with that, but to say, Mr. Marty? For Scorsese <laughs> to say that it's not conveying emotional experiences... That's I, pish posh. That's, Avengers Endgame has made me cry more yeah, than any movie that's I've disrespectful. seen in the past 10 that's years. That's so disrespectful to, to people, to, to fans like you. There are film, There's scenes in that film that are so earned over years of waiting, of moments that are, you know... The culmination of emotional arcs that began years ago, and to call that a la to say that's not emotional is laughable. And you know what, Scorsese in '76, there were people from the '50s who were calling Taxi Driver trash. 
and saying that you know movies like that were not worth their time. People said the same thing about Star Wars in 77. This is a cyclical thing. Mm-hmm. You don't get it because it's not your generation. And you're old. Yeah, you're old. Yeah. Like, that's point blank. You know, <laughs> that's it. Like People like, you know, David Lean, for instance, probably didn't get Taxi Driver. It's just, it's it's how it goes along. And then people like Charlie Chaplin probably didn't understand Lawrence of Arabia. It's just, yes. it keeps going back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, 20 years from now, people are going to say, you know, I don't know, film like... Uh, like the Hurt Locker or, uh, you know, the King's Speech, something like that. He's going to say that's trash. The Social Network, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already, already, people are like the artist, really? Because <laughs> you look back at the decade, you're like, oh, there's been some good movies that have won Best Picture. You're like the artist, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a good to fair chance that this Oscars <laughs> Joker could walk away with Best Picture. Yeah, and pe- some people are going to be absolutely pissed off. Yeah. But, you know, it's all about how you look at it. Is that is that cinema, Martin Scorsese? Because it's a DC? Is that cinema? No, well, he was attached to produce it at one point. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's fucking contradicting himself. Yeah. I, I think he's I realizing that he's backed himself into a corner now when he's trying what, to... Um, what, 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 really, what really is the difference between Goodfellas and Avengers Endgame? I give them both tens. They're exactly. both films that resonate with me. Both great films. Both great yeah. films. You can like both. It's not a... And you can yeah. even like one over the other. I prefer Goodfellas exactly. over anything Marvel's done, but I still adore yeah. some stuff Marvel has done. I hate people who act like it's one or the other. You yeah. can like everything. Yes. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We are perfect examples of that. Like, yeah. He, Austin doesn't like Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've yeah. watched them. I've seen them all. I just, yeah. They're just not for me. They're not my favorite movies. Like, yeah. you know, like most people. I am. Mm-hmm. And and same with the, same with the Marvel. Like you would think that I might side with Scorsese, but no, fuck that. Like you can't do that. <laughs> and, and and I'm just I, I won't ever get over his age. Like why do you care, dude? What <laughs> and why do we care? Like why do people get offended by like get out of here, dude? Like <laughs> you got this movie, The Irishman. It's gonna do really well. It's probably gonna win some shit, and and you're gonna you're gonna be regarded forever as one of the like ten greatest you know directors of all time. Mm-hmm. And can we leave that alone? I don't know. Plus, you got you got friends who made you know you have a friend you have a buddy who made Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn. So, way to ruin that relationship. I don't know. I just that that's dumb. Yeah, James dumb. Gunn had to come out and say like it is it is cinema and you're wrong. Yeah, and then so it's like awkward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Scorsese has started a whole bunch of shit now. He's yeah, and then and then and then Francis Ford Coppola. It's like oh, here's another old guy. Like, dude, <laughs> let's let's ask let's ask like younger directors. Let's ask. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, and David Fincher. David Fincher. And, or, or even, like, let's go a step further. Jonah Hill, a new director. Paul Dano. Guys who, are like, have grown up. Yeah. And, like, are there, like, you're, like, about to be 40. Have also, like, kind of grown up seeing the Marvel thing. I just, like, let's get different takes. Let's not just say, like, oh, well, Marty said it. So, like, no. Or how about some of the Marvel directors, like James Gunn, John Favreau, Taika Waititi. Like, people who are up-and-coming huge people. Mm-hmm. They probably have more to say than anybody here. Yeah, yeah. Take it with TD. That that guy, like, once he got his foot in the Marvel, it kind of changed me a little bit. I probably needed someone like him to be in the ring, because mm-hmm. um, he's he's a little he's the wild card, I'd say. Yeah. Last year, Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture, a Marvel movie. Yes, by uh, Ryan Coogler. Not even like one of the eight best <laughs> Marvel movies. But that uh, was huge progress for comic book films, right there. Massive, massive. That is va- that's validation. And you're just, you're not on the right side of history with this one, Marty. 
I feel the same yeah. against Steven Spielberg about the Netflix thing. Yeah, it's just it's old directors not understanding that this is the way cinema works now, and, and it's really up, it's really up to like younger people like us to just be like, you know, what? fuck them. I they they're old, they're old. You know, they can have their opinion. Cool, let's move on. And we shouldn't take it that seriously. Like, like people shouldn't be like, oh well, if Marty says it, it's true. You know what I'm saying? Because I think some people run with it that way. He's not the ambassador of film. No, they're like, <laughs> I think there's certain people who are looking for a way to like see Marvel sucks. You're like. Yeah. Mm. What do you get from that? Like, I can see if you want to make if you want to go there and be like, well, Disney's kind of kind of corrupt and bad. Okay, true, but, but the content's to, fucking yes, great. yeah. I'm, we're talking about the movies, yeah. the content, the stories, the acting, the yeah. like how yeah how I was affected by the movie, and those are good. Exactly. Ah, stupid man. It's never going to end though. Like you said, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's such a Typical. cycle. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fun to talk about. That. Yeah, because you got you got yeah you got Marty and Francis Ford and. James Gunn and Marvel and Disney and people in the middle of it. It's amazing. That's <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Fucking social media. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Next up, Rachel Weiss is set to play legendary actress Elizabeth Taylor in a biopic titled A Special Relationship, which will focus on Taylor's activism during the AIDS epidemic in the 80s. Yeah. Another actress who is very active in the community. Yes. Liz Taylor. And she was crazy, but I, I love Liz Taylor. And this is, this is going to be a stellar movie. Yeah. yeah. Rachel Weiss is fantastic. Very That's true. one of those that, you, yeah, you kind of know. It's set up, for, set up to be a really good movie. Oscar bait. Really powerful, yeah. <laughs> the trailer for the latest remake of The Grudge was released, and I think it looks fucking creepy, personally. Hell yeah. Set for release on January 3rd, 2020. Stars John Cho, Lynn Shay, Demian Bashir, Jackie Weaver, and William Sadler. Hell yeah. Great fucking cast. Not would have expect, I would not have expected two Oscar nominees in this cast. Wow. So who knows? I mean, it could be, it could work. I I, th- I think it's gonna be definitely worth it, and it'll most certainly be our first uh, <clears throat> first bonus of the twenty twenty. So oh yeah, that'll be really cool for sure. The Grudge. Uh, I can't do it. <laughs> I was trying to do the the I croaky can't. noise. I, I can't do, do it. I do it when I'm alone. Yeah, like if I'm. I can do it when I'm car. Got, when I've got like a cold. I can do it. I can't go yeah, there. <laughs> I can't go. We're gonna practice. We for have the to be budget. sick. We both have to be sick <laughs> for the bonus in January. We'll practice. <laughs> uh, next up, Robert Evans, producer of films like Chinatown, Marathon Man, and the first two Godfather films, has died at age eighty-nine of undisclosed reasons. Yeah, he was the money behind some iconic films. Oh yeah, he was one of those guys during the seventies that was like, "Hey, it's the seventies. The the Hays Code's gone. Let's fucking do this thing." <laughs> And he, you know, these, these movies went for it. You know, fucking Godfather. Uh, one of the greatest <laughs> movies of all time. So, yeah, this guy was a legend. And I, I most certainly think there's going to be a movie made about him one day. Robert Evans. You can see pictures of him on Google. <laughs> like, yeah, that guy, <laughs> that guy deserves a picture. He looked you know? like a character. Yes, 100%. Yeah. My God. Next up, and I was very happy to hear about this. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have dropped out of their planned Star Wars trilogy for undisclosed reasons. And Undisclosed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we know why. Because of what happened. This they were the past two guys June. who fucked up the finale of Game of Thrones and pissed off every fan in the world. And then they were probably going to do the same to Star Wars. And I guess they had the good sense to get the fuck out of there. So good. Yeah, man. What? How quickly their legacy turned in like in just eight episodes? Because no, six people episodes. Were just like, oh, this is not good. Yeah. Six episodes. It was over. Well, that's because they were bad. It wasn't a good season. It was it was the last season, two year build up. It wasn't a good season. Season one was like light years better than the last season. Dude, I the first seven seasons I fucking adored. It was the final season that fucked it all up for me. 
the last the last two for me are like significantly weaker than the rest. But yeah, I think there's even a big drop, bigger drop off from six to seven. Yeah, or seven to eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those last six. Yeah. Oh man, we'll just call them the last six. <laughs> yeah, so many fans have written it off. These two guys, like, there's been petitions to redo the final season of Game of Thrones. There's been some petitions to get these guys off of Star Wars, and that one appears to have worked out in people's favor. So here's hoping they just go away because nobody wants them around. <laughs> yeah, they are oh, clearly man. not the brains behind the good stuff in Game of Thrones. No, Ugh. no, and no more Star Wars for them. Finally, and I couldn't fucking believe this. Supernatural star Jared Padalecki was arrested this past week for assault in Austin, Texas, after he got in a bar fight at the bar he owned in downtown Austin called Stereotype. This is during the run of the 15th and final season of his signature series, Supernatural, as well as right after he was announced as the lead in CW's reboot of Walker, Texas Ranger. He has certainly lost a lot of my respect and probably that Walker, Texas Ranger deal. So here's hoping they've filmed all of the Supernatural. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, he, he he hit two people, tried to bribe a cop. <laughs> so I promise, man. Yeah, he's like, I think he pulled the do you know who I am card. Have you ever watched Supernatural? <laughs> he's all wasted. <laughs> I've seen his mugshot. Oh my god, he looks bad. Looks rough. Jesus, I've never heard of that bar. He's got a wife, two like two or three kids. I don't know what the fuck he's doing. But, ugh, dude. What, he owns a bar in Austin? Yeah. What the fuck? He, yeah, and then the other guy, Jensen Ackles, he has a brewery in uh, Dripping Springs, I think. The Family hell? business, what it's called. It's from the show. I'm a big Supernatural fan. Yeah, I never watched. So I was yeah. pissed about this. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that just sucks. It's the last season, 15 season, and it's three episodes in, and, and then he pulls this shit. <laughs> like, oh, God, man. Jeez. <laughs> like, you can bet they probably have not filmed all of it yet. Oh, no. But... Like, can they even now? Because he's in fucking jail. <laughs> well, that wraps up this week in film. And that's another filmgasm in the bag, ladies and gents. This one is dedicated to the memory and legacy of Mr. Vincent Price, the master of horror. Thank you for the scares, you debonair classy bastard. Next week, we go back to the 17th century, to the psychological and supernatural horrors faced by a Puritan family living in the woods of New England. Get ready to write your name in Black Phillip's book, because we're diving into The Witch, one of the freakiest movies of the decade and a film that truly horrified both of us. And we're going to close out today's episodes with some words about Vincent Price from our very own Josh Allred. See you next Wednesday, listeners, and stay scared. I was introduced to Vincent Price by my mother in my younger days. She's solely responsible for the horror lover I am today. The first time I saw him was in Edward Scissorhands and asked my mom, who's that guy? She replied, that's Vincent Price. He made a lot of movies that I saw as a teenager. His brief performance in Tim Burton's suburban gothic fairy tale hooked me. Anytime a movie of his was on, we watched it. Once in college, my fascination turned to admiration. He had charisma and dedication in any role he played, no matter the level of production. There are lots of roles that I could blab on about, but I'll save that for reviews. Trying to find one movie that summed up my love of Vincent Price wasn't easy. I narrowed the list down to the following. The Fly, The Last Man on Earth, 
Theater of Blood, Madhouse, House of Wax, and the abominable Dr. Fibes. Some are more well-known than others. The one that stood out, Dr. Fibes. I read Connor's review and agree that there are parts that suffer from too much exposition, hindering the revenge-driven story. However, Vincent Price's turn as Anton Fibes still resonates with me. He brings a tragic element to a character that could have been very dark and one-dimensional. The loss of the woman he loves unleashes a grandiose madman, hell-bent on making the men who robbed him of his love suffer cruel <laughs> and hilariously twisted fates. One of my favorite deaths in the whole movie is the guy getting impaled with the unicorn statue. From the sound of it coming through like an arrow to it sticking out, it's, it's ridiculous. Vincent Price himself said that he had to play Fives so serious so that it could be funny. And I don't know how people could see that movie and not laugh at some of the absurd things that happen in it. From the, from the get-go, I mean, the whole biblical take on everything to the grandiose way that he goes about things, all of it, all of it is intentional, especially coming from Price himself. He says that. So if you look at it through that lens, Dr. Fibes is an amazing piece of horror comedy. I will stand by that and challenge anybody. Dr. Fives is Price at his most unrestrained and fully embracing the camp of the film. For real, the tagline of this movie is, Love means never having to say you're ugly. <laughs> you know what you're getting into when you see that. And he also does this while never actually speaking during the film. He doesn't, his mouth doesn't move. All you're hearing are his words coming piped through a fucking like a gramophone or some ancient shit like that and his eyes and his gestures that's like classic classically trained actor stuff how many how many hollywood actors could pull that shit off today i'll wait yeah that's what i thought vincent price enjoyed the darker side of life as evidenced by this quote I found, I don't know for a fact that he said it because I couldn't verify it, but once you hear it, I'm pretty sure you could picture this coming out of Vincent Price's mouth. I sometimes feel that I'm impersonating the dark unconscious of the whole human race. I know this sounds sick, but I love it. My connection to Vincent Price is a personal one, as it also ties in with my mother and our relationship. Anytime I watch one of his films, I feel that she is still with me, just as Price's art lives on and continues to inspire and influence those who discover it. If music be the fruit of love, play on.